0: What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the question and answer podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that it's helpful for you to become a saint in your walk toward eternity. You can ask me anything and everything about our Catholic faith from morality to spirituality, whether it's a question about everyday life or what we believe as Catholics. I am here to help you find answers. If you are a first time listener, please be sure to follow the podcast. You can also hit me up with your own questions and comments at www.assistedpress.com slash askfatherjosh, spell out A-S-K-F-A-T-H-E-R-J-O-S-H. If you want to receive our show notes, any updates about the podcast, also be sure to subscribe to our email list by texting Ask Father Josh to 33777. On today's show, we are going to respond to a question about receiving communion uh, via other Christian denominations. But before we get into this Eucharistic conversation, I want to share with you a glorious story. story is this. Uh, this past week, I was, I was blessed to be able to go to the National Catholic Vocation Directors Conference uh, in Baltimore. It, it was a gift. I typically, I'll be honest with you, I'm not big on going to conferences. I, I, I'm just not. I, I don't mind to speak at a, a few conferences a year uh, because that's part of my charism. I'm an evangelist, It's a gift that the Holy Spirit has given me, and it's life-giving to do that a few times a year. I don't do it often, but when I do it, I enjoy it. I've never really been big on going to conferences, though. I typically find a lot of conferences to be very draining and sometimes boring. And uh, yeah, this was not. This was everything and more. It was so good. Sister Miriam James, who— it's one of my like closest friends in ministry. I met her probably 12 years ago when I was in seminary, and we immediately became best friends. She was at Moor Nation. She knows my family. Uh, we are just very close, and uh, we always get to see each other a few times a year because we do so much ministry together, but it was such a gift to listen to her as she prophetically spoke blessings over the priest, the vocation directors at this conference. She has a gift, and anointing from the Lord, and— her and I were hanging out a few days uh, before she spoke. And I was telling her, I was like, Yeah, you know, I'm in a great place right now. I'm in I'm in pure consolation. Like I I'm just really in a great place with Jesus. He and I are are really, really close. And he's always close to me, but I'm perceiving the proximity. And uh and then she spoke, and when she spoke, man, like she was able to 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 draw me places with Christ deeper, deeper, deeper. And I was able to then begin to process some of that in my time before the blessed sacrament and prayer. And I look forward to going to spiritual direction, my spiritual director to go deeper in that as well. But I was like, man, like the gift that she had to just take me uh, to, to gently like, like Mary to draw me places with Jesus that I didn't know I wanted to even go. So that was a huge gift. Uh, it was a gift to, to learn from other vocation directors across the nation of what they're doing and how, how they are ministering to their, their people in their land but it's also just a gift to have some of these side conversations with people between the conferences, between the presentations, and they were also good uh, to just meet with people over coffee or at lunch or dinner, or as we're walking to and from things, and have these really, really benef- like really helpful conversations. There was a sister who I spoke with, and she's been a sister for over three decades. And she's an Orthodox sister, and she's a joyful sister, and she's been in love with Jesus Christ for more than three decades. Uh, and she was even sharing with me at lunch that like, the Lord in the past year of her religious life as a bride of Jesus has taken her places where she's never known that they could go in their relationship with each other. And there's breakthroughs that are happening 35 years into religious life. And I was like, man, how beautiful. There's still so much more. There's always so much more for For all of us, and I remember going to my my holy hour after our conversation and telling Jesus, like, man, like, I guess I've always had this fear that it's so good, like, he and I are in such a great place that it's just going to get bad from here. It's going to go downhill. It won't be bad in the sense that whatever he wants is good for me, but It's going to be painful for me as far as like the the Dark night experience, Mother Teresa. And uh, he's like, not necessarily. That might not be your path. You know, like Josh, like there's always good with me. I always have your good in mind and it gets even better than what it is now. And so I don't know where you are at in your relationship with the Lord right now, but there's more, there's more, there's more. I just encourage you to seek out more time with him more time with him, more time with him in prayer, more time with him in scripture, more time with him in the blessed sacrament, more time with him in sharing your heart and listening to him share his heart because yeah, there other things just will not satisfy us. Other things will not give peace to our hearts. If we are rooted and devoted to uh, social media uh, or blogs or YouTube videos or podcasts, <laughs> I know I have a podcast, but if we're devoted to this, more than we're devoted to our relationship with him, we're going to feel empty. But the more time we give to him, the more fruit that we're going to experience in our relationship with him, even if there's seasons of darkness that he invites us to so we can abide with him there. Yeah, it's just prayer, oh, so good. So this conference was just an unexpected gift. It was. It almost felt like a retreat uh, that he and I were able to be on with each other. Um, so, yeah, glory story is Grateful, 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 grateful for this past conference. If you hear also in the background like this, like my jacket making noise, it's because today I'm recording this, the day of the LSU versus Southern University football game. And I'm going to the football game. I uh, went to Southern University. I was a priest at LSU, but I attended Southern University. And so I'm wearing my Southern University uh, outfit. Over my cleric, so you, you see my collar, but you see this like really cool uh, Southern swag I got going on because the priest at LSU is gonna wear the LSU swag, and we're sitting by each other, and so it's gonna be fun to, uh, yeah, to just rep our, our difference. He went to LSU, I went to Southern, so, uh, yeah. But that's if you hear the noise in the background, it's my obnoxious Southern University Jaguars jacket, and if you don't hear it, then blessed be God. With that, let's go ahead and jump into today's topic. Right, our question today comes in from Anonymous, and it is about receiving communion via other Christian denominations. So here's what Anonymous wrote. My brother-in-law is Lutheran, and my sister is Catholic. He attends mass with her, and she attends the Lutheran service with him. Is it permissible for her to receive communion at the Lutheran church? Anonymous, this is a great question. So uh, story time, and then I'll get into the answer. So uh, a number of years ago, y'all know, many of you know, I was baptized Catholic. I was had my first communion, first reconciliation, all that. In high school, stopped going to mass, began to go to uh, Protestant, evangelical, Christian communities, a few Baptist communities. My dad is um, AME, African Methodist Episcopalian. So went there as well a few times. Primarily though, I was, I was involved in like the evangelical world uh, for about three years. And I really enjoyed it when I was there. I was involved in Bible studies. I was involved in their youth ministry. I uh, enjoyed praise and worship. Uh, I enjoyed the preaching. I enjoyed a lot of what I experienced during those years. Uh, I also was compartmentalizing my faith during those years, and I would live a double life. So I'd go to those different services and those different communities and invest in them, but I was also investing in a whole other world. With people that did not care about my salvation, and I was um, I was just doing things that did not glorify God, and uh, living a mortally sinful lifestyle um, at the same time. And I would, week after week, I'd go down to do an altar call and give my life to Christ again. And then the weekend, I'd go and party like a rock star, and then I'd go and give my life to Christ again. And that went on for three years. And then I was invited to Steubenville South, and on June twenty six, two thousand four. Saturday night, 8 o'clock p.m., Alexandria, Louisiana, Bishop Sam Jacobs exposed Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, the Blessed Sacrament, and during adoration, I encountered God in a way that transformed my life. Uh, I'm a priest now because of that initial encounter, right? Um, I believed all of a sudden that that the Eucharist really is Jesus, and I wanted to be in a relationship with Jesus, and that's what kickstarted my return back home to Jesus Christ in the sacraments life of the church. After that encounter, I began to go to adoration almost every day, and I got plugged into a Catholic youth group in addition to the evangelical small groups that I was a part of. And uh, I just thought I was the stuff. I was very prideful in the beginning of my journey. I thought I was so holy because I was so young and I was so radical for Jesus. My mom was sick, and so my mom... There was no doctor who was able to help her, and we heard about this nun in our diocese. Her name was Sister Dulce Maria. Sister Dulce has a charism of healing. Um, again, I have this charism of evangelization. She received, at her baptism, a charisma of supernatural healing. So a lot of people with cancer and other illnesses go to her, and they experience healing. My mom went to her, and my mom had a profound encounter with God where she experienced some level of healing. I was... Um, inspired and I wanted to know more about this sister. So I scheduled an appointment as a as a teenager to go and sit with her, to go pray with her, to to just be with her. And when I got there, I didn't have anything to talk about. So I just kind of talked about, well look, you know, I'm I'm a young man and I could be doing a lot of different things right now. I could be in the streets doing this or that and and I'm praying and I'm so holy. Look at me. And she said uh she said to me, Okay, well Papa wants to pray right now. Now, Sister Dulce Maria uh, is Hispanic, and so she calls God the Father Papa, right? Papa is Spanish for father. Papa wants to pray, and we held hands to pray. Now, not only does she have a charism of healing, but every now and then, God the Father also allows her to experience that Padre Pio type stuff and read souls. And God the Father said something to her about me that I was not prepared to hear. Um, God the Father said to her, uh, Tell Josh that I know he skipped Mass these past two Sundays in a row. And when he skipped mass, it made me cry. Now, here's the thing. I went to adoration daily, but I still wasn't going to mass every Sunday because I didn't understand what the mass was. I didn't understand what worship was in the eyes of God. I thought it was about me and what I wanted. I wanted to hear a really good sermon. And the, the community I was plugged into, that pastor could preach his tail off. I wanted to hear really good music. And the music um, at the, the places that I went It was really, really good. I wanted to have good fellowship, and my community at those other Christian communities was really good. Um, It it was about what I wanted, though. I never stopped to ask God what what He wanted. And so I went to Mass every now and then after my big conversion, but I didn't go every Sunday. I went when I felt like it. And those two Sundays before I saw Sister Dolce, I had not gone to Mass. I skipped Mass, and I went to other Christian communities for their services, And God the Father then tells this nun who has no idea who I am. She doesn't know me from Adam. It's her first time meeting me. He tells her that I skipped mass the past two Sundays leading up to this encounter with her. It's true. He says, I made him cry. See, at this point, I'm cultivating a personal relationship with Jesus. I'm praying daily with the word of God, the Bible, and before the blessed sacrament. I'm falling in love with Jesus. Jesus is becoming the love of my life. I don't want to break his heart. I don't want to make my father cry. And so because I've... Growing in this relationship with the Lord, when the Lord says that he cares about Mass, this rule of worship, now I care about Mass too. And so when I heard those words from Sister Dulce, from God the Father to me through her, about the way I broke his heart, like that is what set me on this journey of, of really diving into the mystery of the Mass and the biblical roots of the Mass and why worship at Mass is what God desires and not just any other prayer service, right? I can I can go to a prayer service on a weekend, but I, I need to be at Mass. And so even now, my, my father is still AME. My father and my grandmother is AME. Most of my family uh, is AME, uh, African Methodist Episcopalian. And I, on weekends, I'll do my Vigil Mass at Sacred Heart. Then I'll do my 9 o'clock AM Mass at Sacred Heart. I'll do my 11 o'clock AM Mass at Sacred Heart. Then every now and then, I'll hop over to his... Christian community and I will enjoy praise music with them. And I will enjoy listening to his pastor preach a sermon and I will enjoy fellowship with their community. And it's beautiful, but notice what I'm not doing. I'm not replacing mass for any other Christian service. I'm not saying I'm gonna go to mass or I'm gonna go to this Christian service. I'm gonna go to mass. And I could also then, if I really like their music ministry, Go there for that, or if I really think they have an anointed speaker or a preacher, I'll go to be fed by that member of the body of Christ who, by the virtue of their baptism, has received the charism of evangelization, or teaching, or preaching, and ministry. Right? There's nothing wrong with that, but we cannot re- replace Mass with another service. What happens at Mass that doesn't happen at any other service? Well, the Eucharist. The Eucharist happens. Yeah, Jesus Christ says, as often as, as you gather together, right, we ought to be breaking the bread. That's why at every single mass, the mass includes the Eucharist. The Eucharist to us is not just a symbol. The Eucharist to us is not a powerful symbol. The Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. When he spoke about the Eucharist in John chapter six, Jesus says this in the gospel of John chapter six, we're just gonna read together really, really quick. John chapter 6, verse 22. On the next day, the people who remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. However, boats from the Tiberias came near the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the people saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to compare them, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, When did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him has God the Father set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now remember the manna, real quick, is uh, the Israelites, they received this manna, which literally means what is it bread? This what is it bread came down from heaven to feed them um, when they were freed from slavery. Uh, So they received this miraculous bread. Anything in the Old Testament cannot be greater than what God offers us in the New Testament, right? And so uh, if the Eucharist is just a symbol, then it seems like the man is a greater greater gift than than ordinary bread that we're just symbolizing God, right? Let's go back to the text on verse 32 now. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet did not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and him who comes to me I will not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who sees his son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except him who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that a man may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which comes down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever, and the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh." The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so who eats me will live because of me. And this is the bread which came down from heaven." not such as your fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. So Jesus makes it very clear that he is the bread of life. After he said this in John chapter 6, verse 66, a number of his disciples left him. They no longer followed him. They walked away from him because they didn't believe him. And he didn't say, wait a minute, y'all come back. I was just joking. You don't you know, get what I'm saying. No, he let them go. He let them walk away. And he said to them, to the apostles, what, what do y'all want to go to? Like y'all can leave. And Peter said, but Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. Later at the Last Supper in Luke chapter 22, verses 19, Jesus says this, and he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body. Notice what he does not say. He does not say this symbolizes my body. When God speaks, things happen. Jesus makes it very clear that the Eucharist is his body. His body. It does not symbolize his body. It's not kind of sort of his body. It is his body. Period. It is the body of Christ. Period. So Jesus makes it very clear that this is his body in in the Word of God. Uh, he's the Lamb of God. In the Old Testament, the Israelites who ate the Lamb of God were saved. When we eat Jesus, the Lamb of God, like we're being saved. Uh, so it's very clear in our theology that the Eucharist is Jesus. It's been consistent teaching of the church for 2,000 years as well. Now, Lutherans do not believe in transubstantiation. They believe in what's called consubstantiation. So it's like kind of sort of Jesus. is Jesus during the service, but then it's not Jesus after. that. That's not what Catholics believe. They have a totally different understanding of the Eucharist. Whenever we go before the Lord to receive Holy Communion, where we say, amen, I believe. It's like a covenant. It's an oath that we're making with the Lord. I believe, right, not only of of who this is, but I believe in what he teaches, who this is, what Jesus teaches. And we have far different beliefs than our Lutheran brothers, than our Baptist brothers, than our Episcopalian brothers and sisters, than our non-denominational brothers and sisters, than our Calvinist brothers and sisters. And so many of them believe that the Eucharist is, either just a symbol or it's kind of sort of powerful but it's not really this they have a different belief so because of that it's important that we don't scandalize other people by saying amen i believe in something that we don't believe in if if we believe that the eucharist is really god and that transubstantiation really does transform the ordinary bread and wine and water into the body blood, soul, and divinity of jesus christ then to go to a protestant service and say amen when they say this symbolizes the body of Christ, well, now I'm lying, and I don't, I don't want to be a liar. Canon law uh, actually doesn't even permit us to receive communion when we go to uh, Protestant communities. Uh, no, the church does not permit this. The church does not permit intercommunion under any circumstances with Christian faith communities that do not have a valid Eucharist. And because our brothers and sisters who broke away from Peter um, do not have a valid Eucharist, we cannot and we do not receive communion from their churches. So, though your sister, I believe it's your sister, right, Anonymous? Though your sister, uh, he attends Mass with her and she with him. But your brother-in-law, is, yeah, so your sister goes to Lutheran services every now and then. That's um, that's totally fine that she can go there, but she needs to only receive communion when she's at Catholic Mass. So as not to confuse her family are scandalized. The faithful are lie with her actions because she, as a Catholic, believes in transubstantiation, and Lutherans do not believe in that. It's two different things. Um, but as long as she goes to mass, she can still go to uh, a service with her husband at the Lutheran community as as well. But that community is not to replace the holy sacrifice of the mass. So hopefully that was helpful. Let me know your thoughts. Give me a follow up with follow-up feedback about this particular topic. We're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back. We're going to dive into our saint for the show who is also a Eucharistic saint.
1: The most important person ever to walk the face of the earth. The source and summit of all things Catholic. But do we really know him? Hi, I'm Dr. Marcellino D'Ambrosio, sometimes known as Dr. Italy. For 30 years, I've taught about Jesus in Catholic university classrooms, on TV, and on radio. And I've been surprised at how Catholics fascinated with so many of the unique features of the rich Catholic tradition, seem to take for granted the very basis of it all, the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Some other Catholic Bible teachers I know have noticed the very same problem. So, Jeff Cavins, Dr. Edward Sri, and I decided to collaborate on a groundbreaking study that would focus simply on the life and teaching of Jesus Christ, filmed on location in the land where it all happened. Those who take this journey with us will learn amazing new things about the gospel stories they thought they knew so well, about his family, his friends, his enemies, his miracles. But even more importantly, they will come to know Jesus in a new and astonishing way that will make a surprising difference in their everyday lives. This study, Jesus, the Way, the Truth, and the Life, helps you learn with all your senses. The videos filmed on site in the Holy Land will change the way you visualize the gospel stories. The study guide includes gorgeous images, provocative quotes, illuminating maps, and challenging questions. The book that accompanies the study will have you riveted all the way to the end. Order the study pack now at ascensionpress.com forward slash Jesus and get immediate at-home access to the videos and the study guide while the printed components are shipped to you. Again, you can order Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life at ascensionpress.com forward slash Jesus You'll be glad you did Your life will never be the same
0: And we're back. Just a quick reminder, if you are a first-time listener, be sure to follow the podcast. Hit me up with your own questions and comments at com slash Josh. Also, if you want to receive show notes and any updates about the podcast, be sure to subscribe to my email list by texting Josh" to 33777. So, our saint for the show is a guy who's on the path to becoming a saint. His name is Venerable Francis Xavier Wynn Van Tuan. Um He... Was a cardinal. Uh, he died in my lifetime and in many of your lifetimes as well. He was just made venerable in 2017. I believe he died in 2002. So he was a young man uh, who came from uh, just a good family. He was the oldest of his siblings, and uh, in Vietnam, and his family they prayed together. Like they did not entrust his formation to just Catholic education. Though if you do want to entrust your kids to Catholic education, send them to Sacred Heart of Jesus Catholic Church and School in the Diocese of Baton Rouge. We would love to walk with your kids and form them in their relationship with the Lord and their walk toward becoming saints. But... The primary formators of the kids are the mom and dad, the family, the family is. And so his family took the responsibility of cultivating a domestic church very seriously. And they raised him with the word of God. Like he knew how to pray with scripture at a young age. He heard the stories of the the lives of the saints, like you're hearing right now about him. And so he perceived, like me, the call to be a priest after he went to a Eucharistic centered event. He went to seminary as a young teenager, got his degree in philosophy, theology, uh, was eventually ordained, uh, and he not only served the people in his parish, but he served the hospital, he served the prison, um, and then he went off to study in Rome where he got a degree in canon law, which, again, canon law actually answered our question today about can a Catholic receive Holy Communion if they go to a Protestant service? So canon law, even though the book might seem pretty big and boring, it's actually really a great blessing to our church. It helps us to to stay in the right bounds as we cultivate our relationship with, with the Lord Jesus Christ. So Venerable Francis Xavier Nguyen was a fruitful priest. He was so fruitful in his ministry, and he eventually became a bishop. And uh, whenever he became a bishop, uh, he continued to uh, experience just supernatural fruit um, in in Vietnam. And he helped a lot of people fall in love with Jesus. He helped to found uh, different evangelical media apostolates um, he was able to share the faith in a way that brought many people to a deeper intimacy with Christ and helped many men respond to a call to the priesthood, as well as women respond to a call to the religious life. Eventually, he was named the coadjutor bishop of Saigon, uh, which well, was the capital of South Vietnam. And seven days after he became bishop, Saigon fell to the, the communists in the north, And they persecuted him. They arrested him. They put him in a prison. He literally spent 13 years of his life in prison. Like St. Paul was in prison, like Peter was in prison, like Jesus Christ was in prison. This holy bishop was now in prison for 13 years, nine of which he was in prison in solitary confinement, which means that he was by himself, but while he was in prison, this is why I said he's a Eucharistic, a Eucharistic saint. While he's in prison, different lay leaders would find ways to sneak into his prison cell little drops of wine and, and little pieces of bread, like crumbs of bread. And he'd put the bread and the wine and little pieces of water in the palms of his hand. And he would celebrate the holy sacrifice of the mass, not at a beautiful altar, not in a beautiful cathedral, but in his prison cell. And he was able to do this because he memorized the missile. And so he was able to recite it, the prayers from memory, saying the words of Jesus Christ daily This is my body. Not to symbolize this, but this is my body. Uh, eventually he was released from prison and I went to Rome and uh, became a cardinal and died a few years later from cancer. But it's just, a, he has a beautiful testimony and a beautiful testament of not allowing his circumstances to prevent him from worshiping God because he knew how much worship meant to God. He knew that his relationship with God was not about him or his circumstances or his seasons, but about God. And God was asking him to be a priest, to offer up sacrifice for his people, to offer up worship. And so even in prison, even without good music, even without community, even in solitary confinement, even in unimaginable difficult circumstances— He prioritized worship of God. He prioritized the Eucharist. And so if he can prioritize worship of God in those circumstances, then how can we not? How can we ever make up an excuse to not prioritize Mass on Sundays, making time for God? How can we not prioritize worshiping God at the Holy Sacrifice? We can. We can make a way. So I just want to encourage you, even if you have to, miss a football game or miss a camping trip or miss a boating trip or miss a hunting trip or whatever it might be to not miss mass, to not miss the Eucharist, to not miss worship of God. So, Venerable Francis Xavier Nguyen, Bantoine, we invite you, our brother, to pray for us. Till next time, I look forward to continuing to accompany you and your journey to becoming saints. Don't forget to hit me with your own questions, comments, and critiques at ascensionpress.com slash askfatherjosh. God bless.